Welcome to Get in the Herd, a podcast about addiction and recovery brought to you by the McShin Foundation. If you or a loved one are looking for real discussions about addiction, recovery, stigma, advocacy, and most importantly, hope, then stick around. Thanks for joining us. Now sit back and get ready for another great episode of Get in the Herd. that makes total sense yeah because yeah. <laughs> i know me and you don't have to understand my boundaries to respect them. well no i'm the president co-founder of mcshan a person in long-term recovery from substance use disorder okay, <laughs> like, okay. i gotta work on that yeah, like, i'm celebrating my six months getting half a cake yeah yeah oh my gosh And good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the award-winning recovery podcast, Get in the Herd. I am your host, Bubblicious. I mean, Nathan Mitchell. Um, that was a joke there. Thank you, Art. Yeah, double bubble. Oh, come on, man. Now don't, don't Bubblicious. Do All right, yeah, Bubblicious. Um, and that's because I'm wearing this big, bright pink shirt. And, and maybe maybe it's double bubble because, uh, well, let's just say the pandemic's had me eaten. Uh, today, our guest is Frank Cotabano. Um, coming all the way from New York and California um, from a long time ago. Um, he's got, yeah, sharing with us a, 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 a long-term recovery story, um, as well as the work that you're doing outside with uh, Lone Wolf and what you come to do at the McShin Foundation, which I know has been, you know, I see the guys do it every Monday and I know the women love it too. Um, Frank, welcome to the show, buddy. What's going on with you? You know, I appreciate you coming and asking me to do this. I think I even suggested that I'd love to do it, to tell you the truth. But that's the New Yorker in me. No, I love it. I love it. Yeah. You know, the old hedge fund guy, you know, seize the moment, Copa DM. Um, I'm doing great. You know, when people ask me how I'm doing and I'm generally in a good place, they say, fantastic. Any better? And they probably come arrest me. (laughs) So if they come knocking in the door, Art's got the bail money, I'm sure, you know. So uh, I uh, I just love being here. Uh, you know, I'm only three years here in Richmond. Uh, I came from San Diego. And um, I came here to uh, change the way the recovery was done. The re- how I got here was that I was living up in Leesburg for about six months. I had gone to have a new relationship with a woman that I thought was the one. <laughs> After being and divorced twice. You know? Aren't they all the one? Yeah, they're all the one. Exactly. <laughs> she wasn't the one? No, she wasn't She the wasn't one. the two? No. It just it blew up. She had huge trauma that she didn't want to take care of. And I said, and I was coming down to Richmond. I had been a recovery coach all over the country doing sober companion and stuff. And when I got to Virginia, they told me I had to do this peer training to uh, in order to be a recovery coach here. Mm. So I had gotten in contact when I was in uh, in Leedsburg uh, with this woman, Marjorie Yates. Yeah. Okay, from the Lighthouse. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, Lighthouse. Exactly. And she and I both being Italian and from New York, we hit it off. And <laughs> I've never actually met her. Huh? Oh, yeah. she's amazing. She's my best friend. Okay. She's my best friend. Okay. Here. She's the reason why I said why why I stayed here. So I curse at her sometimes. You know? <laughs> no, not at all anymore. Um, and I came here. I did the peer training over at the SAR Center, and the, and she was just abusing the hell out of me because I was doing keto and I was doing CrossFit in a big way, at oh, the God. same time. So she was saying, "You're just a, a CF and a KA asshole," you know meaning a keto asshole and a CrossFit asshole. Sorry for the language. <laughs> no, uh, no, no. I was, because I, <laughs> when, you, when you're doing those things, you have to let everybody know what you're doing, unfortunately. You know, it's an ego <laughs> thing. Right. So uh, at the end of it, uh, you know, she said, I was on my way back to uh, go to Leesburg, pack up my stuff and have it shipped back to San Diego and says, I want you to do me a favor. I said, what's that? She says, I want you to stay here because you do things that no one else does. And I want you to help me change recovery here in whatever way we can do that and on the spur of the moment i said okay done how did you meet marjorie 
just because I had to do it as PRS training. Okay, so and, you, I, okay. and I didn't want to do like eight weekends or stuff like that. I wanted to get it done in a in a in a week. And I contacted her when I was up in Leesburg, and yeah, yeah. we we just hit it off. So you took the PRS class with Marjorie. I did. And so for for those out there, uh, the PR that's a peer recovery specialist class, and and that is a it's a it's a pathway in Virginia of becoming a, a, a peer recovery specialist. Uh, the class is. Um, or recovery coach mm -hmm. broadly, but, um, and you can get nationally certified. You can get certified here in Virginia itself. Um, but you also have to do, uh, to get that certification, you have to do the 72 hour class. And then you have a 500 hour, yeah. uh, essentially practical internship kind of thing. Exactly. And, and so that's how we found you here. How did you find McShin to do that at that time? Well, what happened was because it was right before the pandemic started. Right. Okay. And I had come here and I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was doing, I was doing sub companion work for people that I knew from all over the country, flying people around and stuff. But then Jesse called me up one day. Wasaki. Yeah. Oh. And he said, I need someone to come in this weekend and just to be the coach for the weekend because uh, the person that was doing, I forget his name, was leaving. And I came in for the weekend, and uh, and I was, yeah, so I took that job on. It was about six months, and then the pandemic hit, yeah. and they closed everything down. So that's how I got, uh, and I wasn't doing breath work then. I was doing it personally, but I was here, and I was doing meditation classes mm -hmm. on Sundays and bringing people out hiking and stuff, and yeah, yeah it was cool. Well, so... <laughs> you brought something up and you've said it twice now, so I have to ask you about this. Um, where where can Art and I find these opportunities to be a, a sober companion with someone who can just fly around with you? Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I knew you'd want a clue on, on that too. <laughs> how, how do we find that gig? Well, because I could use that gig. I'm, I'm an excellent traveler. Yeah, I'm sure you are. Uh, seven years ago, I left Wall Street. Okay. And I had a, I was in San Diego at the time and I had a sponsor, Mick, who, uh, I didn't know where I wanted to go with it. And he said, you have a really big niche. He said, <laughs> wait, <laughs> niche. I said, oh, okay, okay, niche, sure. niche being <laughs> Nathan. Yeah. Art. <laughs> <laughs> and that at the time, well, not at the time I had been homeless when I first came into recovery i was homeless 39 years ago living in the tunnels of grand central station wow you know and i just happened to walk into an aa meeting not wanting to get sober i just wanted to get coffee and donuts yeah yeah and then you know just by the grace you know things happen and two years later i had this huge career on wall street so he said here you are someone who had a really bad bottom almost killing you you went out and you had this great career he said, you can be this companion to people like big executives and companies, entertainers, sports people, which is what I did for yeah. a couple of years before I got here. How did you end up how did you end up in the tunnels of Grand Central Station? Let's like in an AA meeting, you know, briefly, you know, what it was like, what happened, what what's like now? Well, two words that, that got me into the tunnels was free base cocaine. Ooh, ooh. Okay. Wait, is that two words or three words? I don't know. But you know, <laughs> that was the thing words. back in the eighties. Yeah. And uh, you know, I had um I don't you know, I grew up in New York City, uh, went to this great high school called Stuyvesant, which is like for all the nerds, the math and the science. But then I decided I wanted to go to West Virginia and play football. Oh wow. So I played football at WVU. Well, I didn't know that. I you know. I left before I got my degree because the governor had put someone into my um, fraternity house because his son, Kim, was doing stuff with me. And Kim called me and said, you have 20 minutes to get out of West Virginia. So I took my albums and my cat, got in my car and booked it out of there. Wait, wait, wait. So you're telling me the governor of West Virginia drove you out of the state? No, no. He drove me because he was going to arrest me. They yeah, say yeah. troopers in. In the beta house, it was a fraternity house, because he didn't like that his, because his son was uh, doing so. Uh huh, uh huh. Uh -huh. What's that guy doing now? Do you know? No idea. No idea. No idea. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I went back to New York and ran my father's company for a little bit because he was sick. Um, 
Then I got into insurance and made a lot of money because oh, um, wow. I, you know, I tell people watch my feet and not my mouth because I can manipulate people. That's why I was so good running my hedge funds for years and made a lot of money. And I thought, oh, smart idea. Why don't I open up some country Western bars in Manhattan? You know, I had one Annie Oakley saloon and another one city limits. And yeah, this is went, the I, 80s. This was, yeah, that was in the late 70s because I got sober uh, May 23rd, 1983. Okay. So it was the late 70s, really the early 80s because I didn't have those places for long because, as I said, this substance that yeah. I had to have a lot of every day took me down the rabbit hole and I lost everything. Wow. So you'll have 40 years next May. I will. Wow. That's, yeah, that's a long time. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll catch up to John, but he doesn't want to ha have me catch up because then bad stuff has to happen to him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. He'll never catch it as yeah. long as he stays on the. Yeah, I yeah, I, yeah, I think. <laughs> got you it. Know? I got it. Yeah, so, you know, but, it, you know, I have to tell you guys, it's uh, it's just about today. That's the way I approach my life. You know, I wake up every morning. You know, uh, let's go back to that mustard seed, right? Mm. I walked into that place looking for coffee and donuts. I go down this basement on 37th Street and Park Avenue. I see on the wall a thing that says mustard, mustard seed. I didn't know what it was. Yeah. It happened to be the oldest, like one of the oldest AA meetings in New York City. Oh, wow. You know? Wow. And I'm sitting in the back row. I'm stanky, long brown hair, hadn't washed in weeks and stuff. <laughs> you know, and this guy, this big giant guy, Max, comes over to me and he says, how you doing, kid? I was 32. And I said, I think I'm going to die. And he says, mm, good chance. He said, you have two <laughs> You have two chances now. He says, you're at a place. He says, you can go back out there and act like an animal, live like an animal, and possibly die. Probably. Or you can stay here, do what we do, and possibly, just possibly, you could have a life you never could have ever imagined. And that's what I've had the last 39 years. Never, ever, ever. Yeah, I didn't believe that or anything, you know. He even had me couch surf on in his apartment for a couple of months before I could get a job and everything. So you you were a hedge fund manager. You lost it all. No, I was. Uh, that came after. That I came after. Sober. Okay. No, so I was in insurance and had these bars, restaurants. Okay. And you're opening up country western bars at the height of disco period, by the way. No, it was uh, urban cowboys around. Then come on, come on. <laughs> Okay, all right, all right. Because in city limits, we had the bull, we had everything, the big dance floor. I was alive, but I was very young. <laughs> um, <laughs> shut up, Art. Um, <laughs> no, the disco days, believe me, 54, Dance Terry yeah. in New York, New York, Max is Kansas City. Were you in all yeah. those places? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I bet. Uh, BC, was it BCBG? Yeah. CBGB. C that, C was down, that, was, that was downtown. Okay. Okay, yes. <laughs> I can't, I'm trying to imagine you. I mean, it's funny because I, I see myself, you know, I look in the mirror at myself sometimes and I'm like, I know the things I did 20 years ago. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't look like the guy who did the things I did 20 years ago. And, 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 and I think of my dad who, you know, my dad, well, my dad's got, my dad kind of looks like, you've never seen my dad, but he kind of looks like the dude right. from, from, uh, but you know, I think about what I look like now and what I know I looked like 20 years ago. And well, I thought I was hot stuff. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, at that point, Country Western Bar, I, I mean, I dressed in black leathers, okay? Oh, yeah. Ponytail. I, I thought <laughs> I was the second coming of Jim Morrison, you know? <laughs> so you lose. No one gets out of here alive. So you lose everything. You're in the tunnels, okay? Uh -huh. And then you, you, you go to the mustard seed meeting, right? Uh -huh. you, you start couch surfing for a little while. And then next thing you know, two years later, you're, you're a hedge fund, hedge fund manager. Well, I wasn't a hedge fund manager right away. I okay. mean, I uh, started working for, uh, Bucket shops, okay, uh, places where you do a lot of cold calling, okay, okay, uh, a lot of movies, you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm like picturing that. a yeah. Leo DiCaprio movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, and then I, uh, I remember I interviewed at Oppenheimer, which is where I spent a lot of years, and the investment bank. And I remember I was talking to this guy Jordan Berlin, who was the manager, and and I was pitching him, and he said, Frank, you, you're not going to jump over the the desk and get me, are you? <laughs> <laughs> but I worked my ass off. You worked your ass, and off? I and I, 
and pretty intuitive and pretty smart, you yeah. know, with finance. And yeah, I had a huge career making stupid money. Well, how'd you get to San Francisco? I mean, to San Diego. Well, uh, was it another woman? Mm -mm. 2007 okay. was it 2007 my ex-wife moved to la we were separated at the time uh to do a big real estate project and now we i was we had separated and all and uh six months later i decided it was time for da dad to become a californian because my daughter julia uh you know she was 13 at the time she's special needs yeah and she's my miracle baby she just Graduated yesterday from Marymount University in, in in LA with on the dean's list with a BA in business. <laughs> nice. All right. Yeah. And what I will tell you is that she is my teacher because my ex-wife and I, Laura, we tried to do have children, couldn't, did a bunch of in vitros and um and adopted Julia uh, right around Albany. Uh, this is 28 years ago, and six months into it, she wasn't doing certain things that a normal baby does. So we took her to see the pediatric doctor. He sent us to a pediatric neurologist, put her in an MRI, a baby this small. He comes out after an hour and says, I'm sorry, but Julia will never walk or talk. Wow. She was born without a part of her brain and hemiparesis. I will tell you that Julia rides horses, she skis, and she gave the commencement address at Beverly Hills High School. And yesterday, she, so, so she's, she, she was put in my life as my teacher. Yeah. Okay. To see someone that can go, I mean, I've had some crazy stuff and big challenges, but this, this, this child, this woman is, blows me away. And she is such an inspiration to me mm -hmm. every day. You know, hopefully she'll be here uh, next month. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully she'll come with Rascal, her puppy. You know, I gave um, uh, uh, my ex-wife and I, Laura, gave her a puppy, Rascal, two years ago for her birthday, which is a Karen Terrier. He's named right, Rascal. Okay. <laughs> they came. She went back. To, they came for seven months last year, and she went back in December to go back into full-time uh, school at Marymount. And Rascal was here. And you've met Kona. My, yeah, you know, Kona is my rescue dog from LA, and he works as a therapy dog, a trauma dog. And every night, Kona would get like, look at me, and like, is he going home tonight? <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully, Rascal will come back. Yeah, you know. So you 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 were out there for a long time. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, twenty years. Twenty. I I started drinking in uh, eleven or twelve. My stuff comes out of trauma extreme trauma violent sexual in the church okay i won't go you, you can yeah. guess what that was about okay and uh, yeah so i started drinking and finding anything to feel good because i had all the, i believe that most if not all addiction comes out of trauma and a lot of it early childhood trauma and and i just was looking to feel better yeah you know and had horrendous consequences. So I have to ask you, and and I this 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 gets personal, and and we can go ahead. Gloss, I'm book. Um, but you know what you're telling me, and I, I I mean I know this about you, and I'm you're very open about you've been very open about your story to me and to others, and what you're telling me, and when I hear you going to that mustard seed meeting, you know that first AA meeting that you walked into, and you you get the donuts and the coffee. And then suddenly, you know, there's the word God thrown in there. Now, and, and I know AA. If and they I know, had said the word God that heavily, you would have seen my butt out the door. Well, that's, yeah. And, that, you know, and I think that's the experience of, of many people yeah. that, you know, and, and we, because we talk about AA and NA as spiritual programs, which I, I, I understand them to be spiritual programs. I don't consider them religious programs. Mm -hmm. And yet that word God is there. And that can be a real turnoff. And as you just said, your butt going the other direction. That can be real tough to people. How did you overcome that? Or I didn't really have to because I had Max. I was really lucky. I had these older guys uh, that adopted me, basically. Okay. And they knew about And I didn't know the exact nature of what had happened until about 12 years ago in L.A. I just knew that there was abuse, okay, and okay. craziness. Uh, and they said, 
don't let it, don't even think about it as religious, okay? And the, the three the three guys, they said, we're not religious at all, you know? <laughs> you know, one guy says, you know, it's God is dog backwards, you know? I like that. So they told me it was good orderly direction, whatever, but. Group of you drunks. Know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, now I'll tell you how I look at it. My God is nature. Every morning I take a, I take Kona and we go down to the James River and by the Nickel Bridge and um, for a sunrise hike. Yeah. And when the sun comes up, I just say, hey, Pops, thanks for a great day. Yeah. And say a little type of third step prayer that I've made up. And my God is in nature. Yeah. It, it really is. It shows me up every day. I know. I love that. And, you know, my my understanding, I, I don't think my understanding of God is ever going to be complete. I certainly don't expect that I have full understanding of where I'll be, you know, what it is. And I probably, I hope to grow into learning more as I go forward, but, you know, it really helped me to understand early on that it doesn't have to be the God of no. the, of, of the religions that had been oppressive to me as well. And so, you know, listening to, to your story and listening to that whole idea of, you know, it's just something greater than I am. Yeah. So for, for I mean, really. for those of us that were brought up Catholic or mm. uh, or Jewish, okay, there is, you know, a great religiosity towards the God concept. I have a friend, and by the way, you know, I say AA, NAC, they're all the same to me. It's just different symbols, you know? I don't differentiate any, any modality because I go to them all. Yeah. You know, mostly AA and NA now, you know, um, because that's where I am. Um, what was I going to say now? See, I have CRS. Okay. Do you know what CRS is? Can't remember shit. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and some people like to say it's because of my age, but I have to tell you, I had a lot of concussions, not a lot, uh, playing football at West Virginia. Okay. I tried to even stop Franco Harris one time and he stepped on my back and I had cleat marks on my Damn. back for two months. Damn. And, uh, you know, that's how old I am, Nathan. Um, and then ski racing. I used to, I love, I love skiing and I'm a, I'm a racer. So I've taken some bad falls and also the drug stuff. You yeah. Know? That's my excuse. You know? yeah. I, I've done a lot of memory destroying substances yeah. over the years. That's, yeah. that's what I always say. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's just, it's just about the journey. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love being here and what I'm doing now. I love coming on Mondays and dealing with the guys. It's so funny with the guys. You get the guys that are all tatted up and, you know, the T-shirts and they'll, I'll, I'll, I'll tell them, I'm coming in here. I'm going to teach you a way of breathing that's going to change your lives. And they look at me. Yeah. <laughs> and I will tell you that the first time I did it with my guy, Sonny. Oh, this is what I want to say about Sonny now that I've thought CRS does come around sometimes. Sonny says whenever he introduces himself, I'm Sonny. Um, alcoholic, whatever he says, and I thank God for AA, and I thank AA for my new understanding of God, okay? mm. which means whatever you want to be. So I uh, was going through a lot of trauma seven years ago that was kicking up still, if, even after having a huge career and being 33 years sober and everything else. And I read this book called The Body Keeps the Score because I had all this trauma. Okay? Mm -hmm. And in that book, it says that any kind of trauma, it doesn't have to be the sexual, the violent, it can be just how you hear yourself. It could be definitely substance abuse, tremendous amount of trauma, but it can just hurt what I heard you telling me who I was supposed to be, yeah. parents, church, teachers, okay? And what the, what the book says is that it all is in your body, usually around your sacral chakra, which is around your hips and your groin. So I met this guy, Sonny, who was an old friend of mine back in L.A., and he said, do you want to get rid of it? And basically, it was really triggering me and destroying relationships and stuff. And I, and I was at, like, the last, last house on the block, yeah. you know? And I said, yep, whatever you want. So he told me was what it was going to entail. So <laughs> I looked at him, and I said, here I am, a New York hedge guy, right? <laughs> and I said, so I'm going to pay you money. For me to lie down on the ground, learn some new style of breathing, and it's going to change my whole life? And he said, yep. And I said, uh-huh. <laughs> I got a bridge in Brooklyn for you, right? <laughs> so I laid down. I did this first session. And 
it was very cathartic for me because I went all in, okay? And I was crying and stuff, stuff was coming up. And I looked at him after it ended and I said, what the just happened? He says, you shifted from your head and into your heart. Mm. And that's what it's all about. And I love, I'll tell you one thing about Max, okay? Here's a great first response that I have. Um, Max told me on the second day, he said, I want to teach you one thing about life, never mind recovery. The most important thing for you to do every day is to do things that make you feel good about yourself. Hmm. And in the beginning, there was meetings, sponsor, whatever. Now it's I wake up at 5 a.m., I read a book, I do a little journaling, I take Kona out, you know, I do breath work with people or, you know, whatever. But it's all, and I, that's the whole key. When I work with men or women, I don't work with women except for doing breath work. Uh, I tell them there's one key. If you make sure that every day you only do things that make you feel good about yourself, you'll have no issues. I have not seen one person in 39 years that either drinks alcoholically or sticks needles in their arm or take pills when they feel good about themselves. Mm. Mm. Not one. Mm. How do we feel good about ourselves? What what makes you feel good about yourself? Yeah. For me, it's helping people. You help people yeah, all yeah. the time. It's about, you know, being of service. And it's like, for me, like, you know, meditation. Although, you know, I used to teach meditation here, but I'm not a great meditator. You know, they talk about monkey mind, okay? <laughs> well, I... Is that is that the guy, the monkey in the brain <laughs> yes, throwing poop? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> That's me. Okay. But my monkey, okay, is a giant ape in a giant palm tree jumping from branch to branch, okay? <laughs> Not letting me stay quiet. Not letting you stay quiet. <laughs> Not letting you stay. Yeah. So what breath work does is it hacks the brain. Yeah. Because you're breathing in a, you know, two breaths in, one breath out, and you're not thinking, so it hacks your brain. I mean, yes, your brain is going to start talking, and then I used to have a, uh, a mantra in the beginning, because this is one of the things that happens uh, that I tell people, and I had a mantra just, F off brain, take the next breath, because, oh, I like that. Yeah. Well, things, three things, when, I like I, when someone comes in and does breath work with me, okay, and mm -hmm. it's, when I found this, okay, it changed my whole life. I walked away from Wall Street, okay? Because when I found it, again, what Max told me about doing things that make you feel good about yourself, I started doing it every day. Right. Then I found the best teachers all over the world to get certified and everything else. And I had always talked, <clears throat> like when I was on Wall Street, changing the world by making money and stuff, okay? <laughs> yeah. And I don't want to be egocentric, but... I have found a way for me to change the world one person at a time, one breath at a time. That's my mission. That's lone wolf breath work. Yeah. Okay. I, I see where that goes. Okay. Okay. So, so, so you have this, I, I put, I think I put in the uh, 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 description of the show, uh, the entrepreneurship, is that the word I used um, of, of uh, lone wolf? So tell me, tell me about it. Tell us about Lone Wolf. What uh, is it? Now we're gonna get woo woo. Wait, wait, what? What do you? When you say woo woo, what do you mean by that? Well, people call people here call me woo woo Frank because I do stuff that's out of the box. Who calls you woo woo Frank? Some people call me woo woo Frank. Yeah, not I, you. I, you. No, I've never heard that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I might it's, start it's calling been, you that. Yeah, now. Hey, thanks a lot. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We, we can call him woo woo Frank. Woo woo Frank. Woo woo Frank. Twelve years ago. I took a, um, I did a retreat in, in New Mexico, in Rose Mountain. I was living in out in LA, mm. but I met seven guys from New York City who were like my tribe in New York with another fellowship and seven guys from Austin, Texas. And we went on top of this uh, mountain in New Mexico, which was a very holistic, no electricity, everything organic. Was ayahuasca was involved? Or? No. Okay. Never done ayahuasca. Okay. Not yet. No. <laughs> well, it's all yet, right? Everything is yeah, yet. Right. Everything is yet. So, but we had no phones, no electric, nothing. Okay. And, um, and it was a lot of very intensive men work. I like doing a lot of empowering work with men. Okay. I'm always looking at things to do. And at the end of it, we were to do a, uh, 
a sweat lodge and it was an authentic sweat lodge with the Indians coming in, the Apaches and everything else. And then after that, you do a vision quest. Okay. So prior in the week, we had to go out and find our space on the mountain where we would spend the night because you go out like seven o'clock and you, you know, you're not picked up or you don't, you're not allowed to come back until the next morning. So I found this giant redwood or that was some redwood. I forget, but it was huge. The, like the mother, mother tree on the mountain that I went to. So three hours or two hours in this sweat lodge where I'm, you know, basically all naked in there doing Indian chants and talking about ancestors. My mouth is at the, my mouth is in the mud Definitely trying these. to get air. Yeah. <laughs> my mouth is in the, is on the, <laughs> trying to suck up air. <laughs> and then after that, you go out and you have soup and some water, and then you go out. Yeah, soup, soup. Yeah, <laughs> it's not nothing. It's it's you know it's all about a big uh, ceremonial thing. Mm -hmm. Then you go out to your place on the mountain for your vision quest. And I'm a New York City kid, okay, yeah. okay. And here I'm in, in in this place, okay. It's a ten yard by twenty yard, not even that big, and you get a tarp. That's all you get, okay, and a bottle of water. No watches, nothing. And uh, I'm sitting against this tree, and it's raining softly. And I'm just leaning back, and got bears and all kinds of stuff all around. And you're hearing all these noises. So I was not sleeping at all. Okay. And about 4:45, I come out of what was like an in-and-out sleep, and I look over to where, about where Art is sitting there, and there's a giant gray wolf sitting there okay and sat there for an hour and a half oh wow okay now after the fact i thought i was hallucinating from all of the stuff yeah. okay and i didn't accept it and basically what was happening at that time is that the telecommunication that was coming through is he was saying what are you still doing on wall street get your ass and help men mm. okay that's what came out of that. And and I went back and a few years later, about three years later, I started getting my dreams coming back. Yeah. So I've been a lone wolf all my life. You know, whether it was business, whether it was rock and roll, whether it was recovery. So and so lone wolf and I have lone wolf breath breath work. And then I have the way the lone wolf was a whole program of starting for men. Okay. Okay. And my mission is to bring back the other lone wolves back to the pack through human connection. Okay. That is what lone wolf breathwork is all about. Huh. And the way of lone wolf is all about using the breathwork to get out of trauma and then having a whole nother program where it's holistic, physical, spiritual, mental, sobriety. Okay. All together with men working together. Okay to transform themselves, yeah. okay? To make new visions for themselves every day. So oh. that's just starting to come together now. So I can see how you go from this, uh, well, I mean, you're a New Yorker, so skepticism <laughs> is in the DNA, right? Yeah. A little bit, right? Un petit. Un petit. <laughs> uh, or how do you say that in Italian? <laughs> you know, hey, uh, to this, uh, to the new woo-woo Frank that I'm now calling you. Sorry. But I, I see that. I see that. And, and uh, you know, I have, I've, I've driven through Mexico. I didn't stop and spend a lot of time in Mexico, I, in New Mexico. Um, I want to because I. Beautiful. New, New Mexico. Absolutely unbelievable. Oh. And uh, Utah was, Utah mm -hmm. was another place too uh, where I just, I felt like I, I need to go back. Mm -hmm. I just need to go back. And I, I did go off the road a little bit in New Mexico for a little while, just, you know, cause I was doing that and, and took some great pictures and spent a little time in the, in the, among the cacti. Yeah. Um, and I, and I think of that, I'm like, well, but don't get me snorting, <laughs> but I, I can see where that, that, that it has a very mystical feel. There's a, there's a spiritualism that I, that, that I can't, I mean, I was on a journey anyway, you know, I was intentional with the journey yeah. to experience different things. And, and, and in, in ways, you know, it was, it was a very much a Nathan journey. I'm, I'm talking, so I took my trip two years ago around the country. And in, very, in, in, in many ways, it was a very Nathan thing to do. Mm -hmm. You know, let's see a whole bunch of things 
really fast and not go too deep. You know, mm-hmm. I can be conversant enough that I can sound smart on some things, but I don't really have the depth of, of you know, that's the, that's skeptical. I'm from New Jersey originally. That's New Jersey in me coming out a little bit. And what I, you know, what I get from that is there are certainly, there are these places that I went to where I did have, where I, where I, I took suggestions from people and, and went to places that I were on my itinerary. And there were these moments where I just went with my gut and just went off the road and said, you know, let's go see what this is over here. And there are these places in amongst that where I'm like, man, I want to go and do more of that. Like, I mean, it's, I'm in a, I mean, I'm a different person than I was two years ago and I'm a different person than I was, you know, that trip made me a different person from the beginning to end. And part of that was I was alone the whole, well, I was alone all that driving for the most part. And, and that, that required me to really face a lot. Um, those moments, you know, like I was, I did the Pacific coast highway on California, which, well, I I laid down a triumph and left part of my arm on that. And then I promised Julia that I would never get on a bike ever again. Wow. Yes. Uh, If you've never, if you don't know what the uh, uh, Pacific coast highway is route one, it's, it's, it's gotta be a crazy dangerous place to be uh, on a, on a motorcycle. It's bad enough on a, a car. Oh, it's great. Oh, yeah, it's fun. It's fun. But there, there are moments. My, my brain has these intrusive thoughts where it's like, you know what? If I just went flying over the edge here, it wouldn't look like suicide. Yeah, Thelma and Louise. Yeah, you know, yeah. something could be done with all this nonsense. Yeah. And so, you know, that, facing all that stuff. And so I, I could see doing what you did with a group of people because that was certainly one of the – I'd like to do the whole thing again mm-hmm. or do bits of it again, mm-hmm. you know, go and be more, more intentional yeah. with the trip. And – I want to go with my tribe, you know, um, being alone is great. And, but I want my tribe. I want my people. I, I, I want to share the experience. And so this, this sounds like something I would want to do is I yeah. guess what I'm getting at. I have a friend, uh, Lee McCormick, who used to run a, a great dual diagnosis place in Nashville. Um, and he wrote a book called spirit recovery. You might want to get it. It's all spirit about recovery. the spirit and that uh, Indian spirit type of stuff. Okay. And spiritual. And he takes a um, retreat down to Mexico a couple of times, and he wants me to go with him in December to the pyramids uh, down in mm. uh, in Mexico. He says, you will come back a different person. So I'm always out there looking at going deeper. Mm. Going. I, I was listening to a great podcast just a couple of days ago by Mike Singer. He wrote The uh, Untethered Soul. And he was talking about that, and this is not about a recovery, just about life, is that we have all this stuff that we want to get, okay? And we have the insights that are a mess. Yeah. He says, you know, if you have a refrigerator where you haven't cleaned it out in four months, you better not put new stuff back in there, okay? I feel like that's a knock at us. Mm. <laughs> He's inheriting my fridge. Okay. I'm, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like just your apartment. If you don't clean up, you have garbage laying around. Yeah. You know, we have to clean out the garbage in order to let the new stuff. In. And, and the whole premise was, I believe it says, you know, um, what are you going to do to get the garbage up, to get the garbage stuff out? And when are you going to start doing it? Yeah. And to me, that's behind. I mean, it's great to go into recovery and, you know, uh, and to get things back, okay, and start these big journeys and all. And we look at, at, at sometimes recovery as being successful as what am I becoming or what do I have, okay? Yeah. yeah. And not enough stuff is talked about. What am I doing in here? You know? What am I doing in here? Because I believe, and that's, for me, what breathwork has been is I've gotten all of that trauma out of me, okay? All of it, you know? I mean, it wasn't just the stuff that happened there. Um, it was, uh, I had a sponsor of five years who, um, he was great. He was my mentor on Wall Street. We used to go rock climbing, skiing, motorcycles together. And after the crash of 87, um, he killed himself uh, because uh, he was like the guru. Um, and I found him four days after he had hung himself from, his a chinning bar in his apartment in his brownstone, you know, 
And it was just before my five-year anniversary. And I didn't have a sponsor for years because I didn't trust because it was the first man I trusted. So what I did was I found uh, my ex-wife, Laura, had all of, I think, 60 days. I met her at an AA dance and got married about six months later. And all the women <laughs> in New York were just beating the crap out of me with 13 stepping stuff. Five years going after for six. Oh, my goodness. Frank. Distraction. Yeah. Hey, we had you know, 25 years we were married, and, and you know, Julia yeah. comes out of that. So, uh, yeah, it's the journey is is pretty amazing. Yeah, it's really amazing, and, and it's funny though. Um, in regard to the breathwork, no men above say 50 will do it. No one. I'm fine. That's what they tell me. <laughs> Okay, I'm, I'm and cool. even with the guys, okay, yeah. on Mondays, you yeah. know, the younger guys, you know, the half of them are totally not totally against it, but their their brains are locked. Sure. And and the other half, the women are more open to it. Just like where I do it because I do zooms twice a week. Uh, I do a uh, an outdoor at Bird Park on 8 a.m. on Sunday mornings. I do a uh, breathwork class, and it's mostly women that come. Yeah. You know, because they're more open to going inside. There, there is a a whole a whole slew of emotional blocks that you know. Let, let, I'll keep it on on men. You know that that we've we put up to keep us from feeling things, and then and I think you know I, I, my you know Nathan, my little humble opinion, you know for me at least, you know not knowing how to regulate those emotions. Has has had an impact on my using. You know, mm -hmm. it, it certainly I've medicated that my my the, the not wanting to deal with all these really intense emotions from a young age and 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 well, I won't go too deep into that. But you know, all these emotions where you know I'm only you know I'm I'm four and a half into my four and a half years into my recovery journey that are you know I'm recognizing how certain things are still pushing at me you know yeah. how i can be sarcastic and bitchy at sometimes you know when i don't want to be you know especially to my favorite people um how i i um, you know i'm getting ready to start a new job next week and instead of you know focusing on some of the things i need to do to prepare for that job or to finish the things that i need to do to you know end this job you know i i spend my day you know looking at desktops art can attest to the fact that i've done nothing but talk about Booker butcher blocks all day countertops and things you know all the time and and it's for me that's it's almost it's not as destructive as the drugs and alcohol but there is a destructiveness to that because what it's it's giving me the permission to suppress feelings you know the 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 feeling that at any moment they're going to find out that I'm not qualified for this job I'm about to start, or at any moment they're going to realize I haven't been doing a great job oh. here at all. You know, nobody, nobody, you just look and say, "Oh my God, he doesn't know what he's doing, and he's just been faking it." At any moment they're going to tell me I'm not good enough for this, you know, or at any moment, you know, it's all just going to come crashing around me, you know, and 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 I'm going to lose it all again. So I'm just going to focus on spending. You know the 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 time that I have just doing these instant gratification things, and I I see that cycle, and it's a tough one to break. Well, can I, would you maybe agree with me that possibly all addiction is just a distraction? Ab absolutely. Okay, it's distracting me from like what Mike Singh was doing from going inside. Yeah. See, I have a mentor that uh, in uh, Canada, uh, Gabor Mate. Yeah. He wrote a great book, Paul, in the realm of the hungry ghosts. And his whole hypothesis on addiction is that uh, anything can become addictive, okay? Because we're looking to satisfy this need to feel good, okay? And we can't stop doing it. And then it has potentially horrendous consequences on it. And Gabor is where I really went deep with him. And, you know, everyone wants to especially in a lot of recovery places, they want to say, why the addiction, okay? Mm -hmm. Instead of asking the question, I believe, wh why the pain? Mm. Why the pain? What got me to doing that? I know 11, 12, 13, having that was what got me into alcohol and drugs, without a doubt, okay? And it just steamrolled after that, you know? So... That's what I 
work with my men. Where's your pain? Because I can be distracted by anything now, food, sex, you know, relationships, power, whatever. It's not drugs and alcohol anymore. I mean, I don't even think about it. You know, I was lucky to come up with guys that say, no matter what, you don't pick up. Your ass falls off. You pick it up and bring it to a meeting. Right. You know? So I was lucky in that way. And my problem was so horrendous that I didn't have to go down to the sub-basement. I was in the tunnels. <laughs> Literally in the tunnels. <laughs> you know? And... You never know what it's going to take. I see these guys doing five, six, seven times in, in rehabs. And, you know, it takes what it takes. Yeah. You know, uh, people are against, like, medically assisted therapy, like, you know, using. I, I was in Cleveland before I came to Leesburg for a short while uh, working with the heroin addicts there. And they had, they had uh, uh, refrigerator trucks lined up at the morgues because the carfentanil and fentanyl problem was so bad there yeah. and with that kind of stuff you can't just cold turkey it and go in and say i'm not going to use this okay and i was strictly an abstinence person until then mm. until i realized hey in order for someone to get to recovery they got to stay alive first yeah i know yeah. so you know it's it's been such a journey over the years and you know comfortability and being on wall street was a big distraction for doing the spiritual work too yeah and i had a daughter with special needs so that was another thing you know i put all my energies into huh. well what else you got going on <laughs> well i say that you know we, we this cruise well, right along I, I started online dating right <laughs> Wait, recently? Yeah. Oh my goodness. It's like trying to nail jello to a tree. Oh god. <laughs> my my mother You know, I've been single for the past couple of years and doing a lot of work and I say, Yeah, why not? You know, but my mother's single. <laughs> okay. And and she's moving to the area. She is, yeah, huh? Yeah. She just bought a house in Midlothian. Yeah. Yeah. You did not want me with you. <laughs> well, it's funny because my, my mom and I over Christmas, um, it was just the two of us on, I guess, Christmas night, I guess. I went over for, I got there Christmas Eve in Northern Virginia. And uh, Christmas night, we're just sitting with the two of us. And we, we had a deeper conversation than I was hope, hoping for. Uh, let's just own that. And certainly more than I expected. And, you know, it started with... Um, well, I, I'm not gonna tell her story, but it, it there was there was just a lot, and and by the end we're both comparing our love lives, <laughs> and and it became I mean it, in a joking way, in a loving way, but it became a yeah well try being a 45 year old gay guy overweight you know with a drug problem you know oh yeah well try being you know with my mom you know and and, and we did this whole game and I, at the end of it, it was kind of like damn we're we're screwed <laughs> you know you you bring up mothers and. Um important thing that i'll bring up is that um a couple of years ago this guy uh lee mccormick it's about 18 months ago uh i don't have a lot of memory about my childhood and uh as i said i thought all this stuff happened when i was 11 12 13 and he said go back and find your first memory of childhood and i grew up in this place in manhattan called stuyvesant town which was a big development okay it was great it's a small city in the middle of manhattan on the uh, lower east side uh and they had different playgrounds basketball playgrounds punch ball playgrounds swings basketball um and i remember at four years old my mem my, my first memories my mother taking me to a swing playground playground four i was on the swings i fell off and i cracked my knee wide open <sighs> bleeding all over and my mother walked away from me okay. hmm. and other women came and took care of me other mothers there now at four years old i'm thinking i'm a piece of shit my mother doesn't want anything to do with me okay so at 11 and 12 when i have these other influences coming in i'm looking for love okay mm. And I didn't find out until 19 years old that my father told me that when my mother was six years old, she was living in a townhouse, Upper East, not up, yeah, up in uh, what now is Spanish Harlem. It used to be Italian and Croatian. My mother's Croatian, with Yugoslavian back then. And 
at six years old, a fire brought out, broke out in their place. She was inside. She lost her brother, her mother, and her three sisters. Oh, wow. In front of her. So she had, she couldn't connect. Wow. She had survivor guilt. I never had a relationship with my mother, okay? No wonder I have all these crazy relationships with women or looking for mothers and stuff. But at 97, I was in L.A. I was running this big uh, sober living place because I'd walked away. Um, I get the call from my sister. Hey, come home because mom, she might be passing soon. So I went home when we hadn't had much uh, conversations. My mother was losing it. And my sister went out of the house. And I was in my mother's apartment. This is the apartment I grew up in, too. Um, and she said, Frankie, come here and sit on the bed. And I sat on the bed, and she said, um, she looked at me, and she said, uh, I'm sorry. I could never, I'm sorry I never told you how much I loved you. I love you as my son, my everything. And that's all I wanted to hear all those years. Hmm. And now in a couple of days, a couple of weeks later, I get the call at four in the morning. So I knew what that was about. And, uh, you know, I came back for her funeral. She was going to be 98, 97, 98. Great life, long life. And had the funeral people coming up. Oh, it's too bad. And I says, what are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) I said, I'm here to celebrate my mother. You know, yeah. she had a long life. She had a great life with my father, you know, great kids. So I'm sorry if I'm not going to do this crying bit with you. <laughs> this theater. Am I sad? Yeah. yeah. But I'm here to celebrate it. So that whole nexus of that's where my initial trauma came from at four years old. That's, I mean, that's carrying generational trauma over. Oh. Yeah. Well, sure. Trauma goes through the DNA. Yeah. yeah. That's what I'm finding out. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and it's time for us to get rid of the toxicity at a certain point, you know. Yeah. And breath work changes DNA, by the way. Whoa. Wow. I like how you brought that back. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and it extends telomeres. You know what telomeres are? No, but I'm about to. Hmm. Well, this is my work back on Wall Street, okay, at a biotech hedge fund. Okay. And there's a lot about telomeres and anti-aging. Telomeres on the end of your DNA strand. It's like, say your DNA is like a, a, a shoelace, okay? And at the end of your shoelace, you have a little plastic cap that keeps it from unraveling. There's a name for that. Anyway, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, well, on the DNA, that cap is called telomeres. Okay. Okay. And when they deteriorate from stress or inflammation, that's when you age because the telomeres fall apart and the DNA <laughs> strands falls apart. So what we were doing back then was trying to find companies that were doing things to extend the telomeres and not have them fall apart, anti-aging. And it's been proven that, you know, and it's still initial stuff, uh, you know, that the telomeres are affected through breath work. And I, John, John didn't like it when I said this, you know, um, when you do breath work, okay, and it doesn't happen right in the beginning, and it doesn't happen if you go after it. But when you do the breath work, oxytocin and DMT is secreted out of your brain into your bloodstream and into your heart. So I call it getting high on my own supply. <laughs> Remember that. <laughs> I, don't, I mean, I guess I could see why you wouldn't like that, but that's, I mean, that's. I'm kidding. I love John. I mean, John, this is so out of the box that John lets me come in here and do it in Jesse, you know? It's great. Well, Carol has done it with me, and she loves it. Has she? Yeah. Yeah. I did out of a retreat out of my friend Larry Roberts and Renity Farms, and I'm doing breath work at a retreat next weekend out there with him. I got a lot lot out of it the first time I did it um, back in January. Yeah. Yeah, I cried the first time. I I know. I remember. Yeah, you do. Yeah, but you were like this in the beginning, too. I was. (laughs) And he's from California. Yeah. Hey. Pasadena. Yeah. That's where my daughter's school uh, uh, was in Altadena, right next oh, to yeah. that. Right yeah. Up the street, yeah. Yeah. Frostic yeah. was right there. Yeah. It was with Beverly Hills High School. Yeah. yeah. Beverly so. Hills High School. Yeah. Didn't they have a didn't they have a show about that? 902. <laughs> 902. <I know>. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. So uh, wait, is Pasadena? Is Pasadena is north uh, over the. It's over the. Uh, it's over the hill. Yeah, they call it Crown City. Yeah. it's on top of L.A. Yeah. Ah, it's really neat. Pasadena is a great little town. Yeah, I like old. It. Yeah, it is an old town. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean, I lived in L.A. for about seven years, and I, I could never go back to L.A. It's just too nuts with the traffic, and, you know, everyone's a wannabe there. So, mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> so, and there's a lot of drama that goes on there. And plus, yeah. and I lived down in Encinitas, which is right where San Diego is, and, you know, I can never afford to live there anymore because either you live at the water or you live 20 miles inland, which is like semi-desert, and it's 120 degrees. So it, you know, that's, that is absolutely amazing to me because I, you know, I had never been to San Diego until mm -hmm. two years ago. And, and you're what you just said, how the, the 40 degree difference yeah. in 20 miles, yeah. literally. Yeah. Yeah. It was, that's an insane yeah. 30, maybe, you know, 30, 40 degrees difference. Insane. Yeah. Man. I lived yeah. in a place called Encinitas, which is a great place. It's right below um, Carlsbad, uh, which was sort of like the Southampton. Uh, of California, uh, Laura and I used to have a uh, house in Southampton. The Southampton, yeah, I <laughs> okay. love Southampton. The yeah. beaches there are the best. Yeah, I went to a, a school in Carlsbad, Army and Navy. Academy. Oh, did you? Yeah. Cool. Carlsbad's a great town, yeah. but it gets too crowded on weekends. All the tourists come down yeah. there and all. So then you know Encinitas, right? Um, right I wasn't there it. too long. This was back in high school, and okay. I was only there for maybe a couple months, and I got, got kicked it. out. Ended up in Wisconsin, so. <laughs> Yeah, California, Military Wisconsin. School, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, polar bear. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. So Ancinas was great. <clears throat> I lived right where this place was <clears throat> called Swami's, because there was a place of uh, the SRF Fellowship there, which is uh, Yogi uh, Swami Yogananda, and he had a house there. And there was the SRF Fellowship where his house was, and at the gardens there were like three levels of gardens. Um, and there was all koi fish and, and all of the things. So I used to go there and meditate and do a little uh, 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 blogging there. And I had on the bottom um, pool, I had named all the koi fish, Bandit and Rambo and stuff like that. Rambo. And if you go over the cliffs was an unbelievable surf break called Swami's. Yeah. And that, I used to windsurf out there. I wasn't a good surfer. No. No. I wasn't a good windsurfer either, but I like, I'm an adrenaline junkie. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome well frank thank you for being here today is there anything we've not covered that you want to talk about real quick i don't know, you know? i'm writing the book lone wolf comes back to the pack so more to be revealed tell all frank's story <laughs> frankie nice. hey frankie Ooh, frank <laughs> yeah i i you know i love being here with you guys you know yeah. You and I met when I first came here. Yeah. I love that you were doing things with refuge because I love meditation and stuff. Yeah. I, you know, it's it's uh, we we have uh, the Dharma meeting. It's mm -hmm. now Recovery Dharma. Um, that that uh, there's one here on Sundays. There's the two ones over by G, um, VCU. Right. Uh, one at is the friends, and ones of the friends on right. Thursdays. You know, that's right by my house. Right. You know, I haven't been going regularly. Yeah, regularly. neither have I. You yeah. know, I've gone to, you know, AA and NA. I've just started going back to meetings. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if you know, but Noah Levine is the guy who taught me to meditate back at Against the Stream. Oh, wow. In LA, because that was my meditation meeting until he had all his craziness and got. How's he doing? I have no idea. Yeah. No idea. I mean, because. I, mean, I met yeah. Noah and when I told you I was in Cleveland. Okay. And he gave a big talk. And uh, I was doing, I was trying to do 11 step meetings in Cleveland uh, with AA because I was there for about a year and a half. No one came to them. Okay. And this is in <laughs> Cleveland, which is where the, yeah. the birthplace of AA in Akron. We don't do that here. And Noah's doing this. We talk. don't do that here. They, they, yeah. So <laughs> at least most of the people. So I saw this meeting. I go up to, Noah sees me and he says, Cordovana, what the are you doing here? That's all I was doing. And I was telling him about trying. He says, so start refuge meetings. Yeah. And I did. I started like four refuge meetings. It was great. I loved doing meditations before because it changes just the whole scheme of the feeling of the room and everything. Yeah. You know. I've led a few of the meditations for the well, for the refuge meetings back when we had a refuge meeting here mm -hmm. um, a few years ago. Yeah, it's interesting. I, 
you know, the, the pandemic and I, it's funny cause I think, you know, a couple of years from now we're going to have more of an idea. Boy, that just got loud. Didn't mm -hmm. it? <laughs> we're going to have more of an idea of just exactly how the pandemic and closing the world down has affected us. You know, I think we're seeing it, obviously, you know, we've certainly seen it more, um, you know, more with the, the, the number of the overdose spikes yeah. and, and, and that's and abuse in and families. Yeah. And all. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, the spikes in everything, everything. would be, yeah. has been so, and, and I think out of that comes also more identification on, on, uh, on addiction treatment, uh, say like with homeless people, because people are really realizing the level of what poverty does. Yeah. Okay. And a lot of people were getting displaced during the pandemic and stuff. And, you know, the whole, the whole spectrum of what addiction and recovery is so wide open yeah. and, you know, and there's so much stigma. I mean, I, I'm involved with a whole bunch of guys, no stigma, no labels, you know, like that. because yeah. yeah, I mean, stigma kills people, kills people. And we want, we want to label it in and it doesn't i don't find it helpful you know i i, find, I don't find labels helpful um that's another conversation for another time but you know because we're, we're on the hour mark here and i want to make sure we uh, close out here but thank you so much frank cordovano <laughs> for being here with us today Man, this is a fun talk uh lone wolf over here uh coming back to the coming back to the pack we're the human connection getting in the herd as it were yes exactly <laughs> I want my hoodie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's the getting the hoodie. Hey, we we will. Hey, listen to so all y'all out there. I found another site. We're gonna we're gonna create a merch shop. Merch is that what they say in merch. California? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're gonna create a merch shop. Uh, we just you know I just need to do it. Um, you know I don't have anything else in my life going on right now. So you know on that when I was back in Cleveland, I started an organization called Cleveland Recovered, uh -huh. and getting all the organizations together. And I had a picture of Cleveland with and Cleveland recovers under I was thinking about maybe starting a Richmond recovers. That'd be cool. Yeah. Man, do it. You know? Do yeah. it. Yeah. Do it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. How does that sound art? That sounds good. Yeah. yeah. I'll join. Yeah. 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 We'll all work together, you know, and it's about, you know, and also using John and everybody else with connections because it's all about getting agencies together. Yeah. But uh yeah, I don't have enough going on. I have to get yeah. you know something more. Be nice for all of us, uh, all of our RCOs. Okay, so okay, too. so yeah. that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna, I'm gonna start Richmond Recovers. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's it. I like it. Yeah. I like it. Art, hey y'all, thank you, thank you, buddy. Thank you, Appreciate thanks, thanks you coming on the show. Appreciate Love all the knowing work you. you do here. Yeah, yeah, and you, big dog, big dog. <laughs> thank, thank you, Bubblicious. Bub oh <laughs> my god, I feel like Zuka. <laughs> Bazooka? Bazooka, 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 like bazooka, 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 bazooka. I like that actually. Oh um, God, Bubblicious sounds like a drag queen. Yeah. <laughs> and I know I have the long hair, but um, anyway, uh, thank you all for being here today. We will see you on Tuesday. Um, do we know what we got going on Tuesday? We don't, not yet. You don't. I don't. No, I think I've got something planned. I don't remember. Women Wednesday, and then on Thursday the first. I will not be in the host seat. I don't know if you know this or not. Um, instead, I will be doing the kickoff, uh, emceeing the kickoff event for Recovery Month uh, uh, nationally with Faces and Voices of Recovery. So I will be out of the chair. I don't know. Art might bring somebody in. Art might just take this opportunity to go, you know, spend some quality time alone with his thoughts. Oh, can I put a new, another pitch in? Please. Okay. This past Saturday, I did a workshop out in a place in uh, Mithlothian with a friend of mine where I did the breath work. Mm -hmm. And my friend JJ, she's a Reiki master. She did Reiki on people as I'm doing the breath work. And just think about this art, okay? Now, Reiki brings out, uh, it, it gets blocks out of you, okay? Think about having breath work and have someone releasing the blocks in your body as you're doing At it, okay? Time, yeah. It was unbelievable. And we're going to do another one, I think, October 1st. So that's my really new thing. It's two modalities, breath work and the Reiki, both energy things. But cool. how, how can uh, people stay in touch? Uh, my Facebook, Frank Cordomano. I'm going to put up a lone wolf. Yeah. Yeah. All right, all right. 
Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, stay connected. Fig- uh, find out what he's doing because I'll tell you mm-hmm. what, I get text messages all the time and it's like six o'clock on a Sunday and I'm like, yeah, Frank, I love you. But, uh, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> I'm not getting up until probably eight. So, <laughs> But I love that I get those because one of these days I'm going to do it. Well, you've what? been telling me for a year now you're going to come to a Yeah, well, you know, I was going to get clean for a long time, too. So, <laughs> But anyway, on that note, we will see you all next week. Thank you all. Have a great weekend. Thank and you. Bye, everyone. Stay in the herd. the CEO of the McShen Foundation and a woman in long-term recovery since May 27, 2007. I have not used drugs or alcohol. Woo-hoo! Thank you so, so much to the Richmond Times Dispatch and all of our voters for getting the Herd podcast. Those podcasts are amazing. Not only has it helped thousands upon thousands of people in their recovery, as well as family members, but it has helped me in my personal recovery. I get to listen to them now in my car through Spotify and iHeartRadio. And it's just really, really important for us to be innovative in the addiction field and the recovery community. So when COVID hit, we had to be innovative. You know, we really had to think of like, what can we do to reach people that cannot go to 12-step meetings? smart recovery, faith-based, whatever, um, that we're shutting down constantly. So we were innovative here at McShen. Let's start podcast. So with Todd, John, Alex, um, and some other staff, you know, we all just kind of jumped in who can do what. And um, with Todd's lead and John's lead, the podcasts have been amazing and we're still doing them today. So I want to thank you for all of your votes and all of your energy and all of your support of our mission of healing families and saving lives. Thanks.